Welcome to BNV Radio. We're coming to you from Board and Vellum, a design firm here in Seattle, Washington. It's an exciting time to be in Seattle, whether you grew up here or you're new to the area. And we're going to talk a little bit about design, but more than that, we're going to talk about what it's like to experience Seattle through the eyes of a designer. I'm Charles. I'm an architect here at Board and Vellum. I live in the Central District neighborhood and I've been a Seattleite for 18 months. And I'm Rachel. I'm a designer. I live in Old Ballard and I've been a Seattleite since I was two years old. This week's show is titled The Pacific Northwest Aesthetic. This is a concept that is talked about a lot here in Seattle, and everyone seems to have a lot of different ideas about what exactly it is. What is clear first and foremost is that it's very important to designers and not designers alike, and something that Seattleites feel connected to. Now that so many people have moved to the area, what does it mean for the evolution of the Pacific Northwest aesthetic? Here to talk about some of the possibilities is a special guest sitting right across from me, Monica Shreves. She is an interior designer here at Fordham Mellon. Mon, thank you so much for coming on the show. Anytime. So one of the things we always ask our guests is to tell us how long you've been living in Seattle and what neighborhood you live in. I have been here for just a little over a year now. Exactly. I came here July 18th last year and I live in Capitol Hill. And uh, where did you grow up and where did you come from? I moved here from Washington, D.C., um, and I'm originally from Northern Virginia in the suburbs of D.C., about 30 minutes outside. Has it been difficult to adjust or easy? Uh, it's been, I would say both, <laughs> um, both hard and easy. I think it's really easy to get used to how nice people are here and the more laid back West Coast atmosphere um, and the beautiful nature everywhere. Um, and all of that good stuff. I think it's been a bit of a transition just in the sense of the very different mindset that people have about life here Hmm. in general, I think. In what way? I think the East Coast is a little uptight, especially D.C. It's the nation's (laughs) capital. Most people are government workers or lawyers or government contractors or some version of that. Um, So it's just a very different ethos but you're not missing the like 110 percent humidity no definitely not this summer is so perfect i love it (laughs) and the winter though i've made it through one and since apparently this one was extra bad i think i can handle another winter here um i was a little nervous about the winter moving here but i think i realized about myself that i hate the cold more than the gray Mm -hmm. and it is definitely not nearly as cold here as it is on the east coast for so sure. I had to ask because it turns out that we talk about the weather on every yes, single Yes, Charles mentioned that. Now we've talked about talking about the weather <laughs> twice in a row. Even more meta. <laughs> we should talk about it. We should just literally have a segment on the show where it's like, and now is the when on the show <laughs> yeah. we talk about the weather. Yeah. What's it like outside today? We should just give a weather report. Currently 69 degrees. It did get very beautiful and warm today, and I'm in boots and long pants and a long sleeve shirt yeah, because it was just, chilly earlier. So Monica, when did you know you wanted to be a designer? And did you always want to be an interior designer? I did not. I grew up having no idea what I wanted to do. I think I switched majors in college about five times. Um, I ended up landing on psychology, which actually I think plays into design in a lot of ways. So it's something I'm still very, very interested in. But um, thought I wanted to go into marketing. And then I ended up interning for a PR firm um, in Charlottesville, Virginia, where I went to college that actually did a lot of work for interior designers and for architects. And that's how I started to get exposed um, to the profession a little bit. 
And I ended up realizing that I wanted to actually be designing the spaces. So I found, especially among interior designers, that we, I guess I can count myself among those ranks now, we all seem to have our own specific aesthetic, and sometimes that's born of the context that we grow up in. Would you say that growing up on the East Coast or in the Virginia, D.C. area uh, helped to form your own sense of aesthetics? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Yes and no. I actually think... Um, that maybe growing up on the East Coast almost pushed back me realizing I wanted to do design as a profession, to be perfectly honest with you. From Virginia, heart of colonialism, red brick everywhere. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Went to UVA, Monticello's there, the, the rotunda, it's all beautiful, but not exactly my personal aesthetic, I would say, what I'm naturally drawn to. So I wasn't, DC doesn't have a whole lot of cool cutting edge exciting architecture in my mind so that was what I was mainly exposed to growing up and I just so I just never even thought about it it just never crossed my mind as a thing that I could possibly pursue what about around the time when you left DC was there when you think of the DC aesthetic what do you think of I think of conservative red brick (laughs) that is what I think of and brutalism the FBI building just you know a pinnacle oh, of yeah. great design. <laughs> brutalism masterpiece. Right? Yes, lots of brutalism there. I know, Rachel, I kind of want to switch to you for a second. As a designer growing up in the Pacific Northwest, is your personal aesthetic formed by growing up here in the Pacific Northwest? or uh, And or do you think that there are key elements that might be universal in the Pacific Northwest design aesthetic? Uh, <laughs> that there's a lot of layers to that. You know. Six-part question. <laughs> Six-part question. Yeah. Let's get started. Okay, well, like Monica, you know, I didn't really conceptualize myself as a designer when I was a kid. I mean, now, looking back, it seems very obvious. But right. But at the time, it wasn't yeah. on my radar that it was one of the professions that you could get into. It sure. just, I didn't know. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to be a, a lawyer. or a, So looking back on it, yeah, I think that there, there is a a feel of the Pacific Northwest that I think of as the design aesthetic of the Pacific Northwest. And I guess we should all be clear here that we're not talking about the official architectural Pacific Northwest modern style for any listeners that might be aware of that. It's totally not what we're getting at here, really. We're just talking about the you know look and feel of what it's like to inhabit spaces here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I think there a lot of what makes me feel like is the Pacific Northwest look is has this element of nostalgia for me because I grew up around it and it's stuff mm-hmm. like heavy timber and it makes me think of um, you know some of the old WPA lodges that are around in the mountains when you go out and then so you have you have that side you've got that kind of heavy timber lumber region architecture that's pretty rustic but then you have the city area where you've got a lot of um you know there's the maritime influence there's old you know shipping yards and fisheries and all this stuff that uses a lot of those elements but then also has that cool you know like big warehouse feel but then when you think about it that's every coastal city right i mean this is not special Mm -hmm. to here but i i you know i've been thinking a lot about nostalgia in our design lately because I think that a lot of people are trying to be modern and yet 
they come back around to this idea of, of what feels good to them and what feels like home and nostalgia just plays well, a really funny. Role I think we, especially when it comes to where you grew up, I don't think I could have understood East Coast aesthetics until I left, not completely, mm-hmm. because you don't have anything to compare it to. So I like I couldn't have told you when I lived in Philadelphia what a Philadelphia aesthetic was. I'd be like, well, we have the Liberty Bell. Yeah, <laughs> but once true. but right now that I'm seeing it from here, I have a scale to, mm-hmm. to judge that against. And so, Monica, I'm curious, uh, since you've moved here, how have you found the Pacific Northwest design sensibilities in contrast with the East Coast? East Coast, I would say at least, I think it's fair to speak mostly for DC and kind of the Southeast. Um, It's definitely more traditional for sure. Um, And part of that is, you know, the deep rooted history there, which, you know, is cool in its own way. Um, So yeah, it's very traditional. I would say the East Coast, unfortunately, has a bigger emphasis on status. Um, so there's this kind of glam thing that happens in a lot of design there that I just would never fly here. It's funny. And it's one thing I didn't expect when I moved to DC mm-hmm. because I, my preconceived notion was just the conservatism and there is this extreme, well, DC's own version of glamour. Right. Uh, that's like, you know, ridiculously high value finishes everywhere. I would still call it tasteful glam, if that makes sense. <laughs> like you get up into like New Jersey, no offense to anyone from New Jersey, but you know, then you get you into a lot of Swarovski crystals <laughs> and things that are just, you know, mm-hmm. too over the top for me personally. I still think there's good design on the East Coast for sure. It's just different. Because um, people dress up to go to dive bars in DC. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I think every aspect of design is reflective of that value system there. Like everyone dresses kind of preppy and it's, you know, more colorfully as you can. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a little more buttoned up for sure. A little more conservative. I don't think designers there are willing to take nearly as many risks. And actually, that was something that really pushed me to move away. I found doing design there stifling in a lot of ways, um, especially towards the end of my time there. Um, I was like, God, I just wish some clients would take a risk, um, push the envelope a little, you know, do something a little different. But at the end of the day, it is the city where the government is. And I don't think you want the city where the government is to be subversive and like crazy. <laughs> so, um, what about here in Seattle, Pacific Northwest? Have you found it uh, in contrast? Uh, I agree with a lot of the things Rachel said. I think the thing that's struck in me most is the connection people want to nature at all times um, through views, through materials, through everything. And Charles, you and I have talked about this a bit, but that search for authenticity, um, people seem to really gravitate towards, you know, real quote unquote materials and um, that sense of truth. A really good way of putting it, actually, um, because it comes up a lot when we start to try to dissect this Pacific Northwest feel, and it, the access to nature is always, you know, very much centered in that. And mm-hmm. so it's interesting when you start to look at it in terms of when we design things, we can't help but want to have that access to the view, access to the the mountain, whether the mountain is out today or not. Today it is. For the record. <laughs> <laughs> but so it's not only the access to the views, but it's the access to the materials. 
Mm-hmm. And so then you open up a whole other can of worms that's like, well, so if we're going to have, you know, beautiful live edge wood, because it's our Pacific Northwest aesthetic to do that, but so what if the wood that you sourced wasn't from here? So then are you violating yeah, the yeah. idea? You know, so there's a, a very careful, measured thing that you have to do about whether you're going to be authentic to that aesthetic or it's going to look like it. But if anybody started asking questions. Yeah, it's usually then... brought up risk because people are very connected to they expect these things like they expect natural locally sourced wood. They expect a warm, moody feel because so much what like 10 months of the year, pretty moody, even the really beautiful months. And so when it does come time to take risks, I would say there's even more of an aversion, in my experience, been more of an aversion to taking risks here than the East Coast because people are so are so connected and attached to the aesthetic. They care more. They're invested more. What I found in D.C., it's like it'll either look fancy or it won't. But I don't see anybody getting emotional over over how the level of finish in there. In their space. There's a, a natural, because if we are a little bit more laid back. A little. <laughs> having, having not lived on the East Coast myself, I've only visited. Um, well, let me tell you, your assumption is correct. Okay. <laughs> well, so let's just go with it. We are more laid back here. but And I think you're right that we are more willing to take risk, but it's a different, um, There's the risk is at a different place. The, the risk that we're willing to take is like, let's do something crazy and wild and awesome and not be conservative about it and let's just make a leap. It's on that side, but people are pretty anal about the sourcing of their materials. So it's like you can take a risk and do some crazy wild design as long as you are making sure that if anybody starts asking questions about where, you know, whether that wood is sustainable, that you can back it up, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's su- like super fun for the designer to get to play with all these things and have the freedom to do the fun you know stuff that we really want to do as long as we can make sure that nobody's going to be judging by some accidental you know yeah and, I, to do a project. and it's funny there's a lot of i've talked to some designers from here that um and some non-designers that are concerned that all of these new people coming to the city designers and non-designers um are going to change the aesthetic of the city and in in a couple of cases i have to admit they're almost right there are a couple of buildings that have been built recently on capitol hill that i will not name that do not seem to fit the aesthetic you can argue whether something is beautiful or not no that's you can go either way that's a personal thing but it's obvious to everyone love it or hate it that some of these buildings don't fit and they're built to appeal to a market of people not from here and i wonder if either of you have encountered any of those concerns when trying to take a risk design wise or be more playful i do think that kind of speaks to the larger I guess issue that I've noticed is, and it's just something so new to me that I think it's really fascinating. DC is by its very nature, a city of transplants. It has been for decades. People come in, they leave. There's not that same protectiveness or pride in the city like people have here. And I think at least this is my perception. It seems like since people, the transplant phenomenon is relatively new. You know, people weren't flocking here for jobs 20 years ago, maybe. Um, there's a bit of, it's like Seattle's having some growing pains and there's this resistance to change Mm -hmm. where I do think the East coast embraces change more ironically in certain ways. It's much more a melting pot of different people from all over the world, just 
you know, and people just accept that. But I feel like here, it's not that people aren't open to it. I almost feel like they're scared. It's like that nostalgia mm-hmm. you're talking about. They're holding on to something, thinking the identity of the city is entrenched in this. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I personally think that's a flawed yeah, view of it. I, I think agree. the city should become a more global city. And that's exciting. And I understand why people are hesitant and scared about it because people don't like change. It's funny. I think there are some misconceptions by everyone, people from here and not. They, I, in fact, I came up with the idea to do this particular subject on, in like my fifth or sixth restaurant here, like a year ago, when it was like, again, it was everything was black steel. Mm-hmm. Everything was exposed red brick, timber ceiling and concrete floors. And they were six vastly different restaurants and I was like maybe I am new and I just don't understand there's this rich history of warehouses and things and that's so, right. you know I looked up the history of Seattle I'm like no this this really isn't a thing and the same with sort of mid-century modern design if someone had asked me earlier in my tenure in Seattle the two things I would have said was sort of you know industrial chic and or mid-century modern then I did some research to understand more about mid-century modern and it's ubiquitous up and down the the west coast regardless of whether it's southern california which couldn't be more different than the pacific northwest and so i started wondering if it's not that even though that's what seems to be comforting right now and maybe that's where the connection is is that it is nostalgic and comforting i think there's a for me the nostalgia isn't the kind of architectural style of pacific northwest design and you know what my Architectural history is failing me right now, and I can't remember. You know, pardon me, I can't remember the the architects that have that made that Pacific Northwest style famous. Mm-hmm. Um, but my day to day life, living here and growing up here, I wasn't that those houses and things that were in that specific style with all their you know various rule you know the rules that define the style. Mm-hmm. That wasn't where I spent my life. You know, and so to me, you know, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware that it was a thing until probably (laughs) I went to architecture school. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. my concept of what Pacific Northwest design was had nothing to do with what the architectural historians think it is. It just was the experience of being in and around these areas. And so in that sense, yeah, it's just the nostalgia of it. There's the views, the access to the views, the using the natural wood, you know large expanses of glass to see all that stuff and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But I think, you know, I agree with Monica and, and you too, Charles, that there, I don't see there being any problem with having design Diversity. that doesn't seem like it fits here because we're, that's the beauty of what Seattle is starting to be on the cusp on finally now is that we are a giant metropolitan city and if we by definition therefore we should not be like all stuck in one little particular style Mm -hmm. in order to be a global city that supports you know the creative you know pursuits like we're not going to just it would be it would be a shame if everything could had to only this is where i play right this is where i start to get excited because if designers move here and people in general move here and bring design sensibilities with them, but reach out to understand the Seattle aesthetic. That's when I think it could evolve in extremely positive ways. Because it, I mean, design aesthetic doesn't stay the same. Like in DC, it'll be something different at some point soon. Um, and here it will be the same. Eventually the mid-century modern thing will end and someone will latch on to something else. 
who knows what that's going to be. But not wanting it to change isn't going to stop it from changing regardless of how many people move here from other places. And uh, the first time I felt like I understood the Pacific Northwest aesthetic, not to find it, but understood it, was the first time I took a trip out to the peninsula and I stayed at this resort, which was located on an American Indian reservation, almost at the exact northwest tip of the United States, period, in Washington state. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was only one restaurant on the reservation and inside it was the barest minimum completion of a building. It, all the studs were open, all the electrical conduit, any of the insulation that was in there, you could see it. Uh, and this is a finished functioning restaurant. It was, it was good. And when I first walked in, I had a slight averse reaction because I wasn't expecting it. And I was just like, oh, are they renovating? And it took me a second. And the longer I ate there and looked outside at the gorgeous beach and looked around, there was something incredibly honest about it. They didn't build it that way because they were trying very hard to be aesthetically honest. Uh, but it was vernacular and it was Pacific Northwest vernacular. And that the idea of honesty to not make something look like something it's not, I think is what is where the core of it might be. And instead of seeing it as, oh, we're just obsessed with reclaimed wood because it's so in and we're putting it everywhere. Um, I think that it's connected to that a little bit. You know, you mentioning vernacular architecture, it, it makes me, it brings me back to um, time when I worked in Walla Walla, which, you know, I think when, we, when we've been talking about the Pacific Northwest lately, we are thinking more about a, a, a very limited version of the Pacific Northwest, that is the kind of Puget Sound metropolitan region. But the real Pacific Northwest has a lot of these areas that are just so completely different than Seattle. And so... Mm-hmm. When I worked in Walla Walla, it was really fascinating because, you know, as this really awesome wine region, there was, there would be these people that would come in and be like, oh, it's wine. So we're going to build um, an Italian villa for our tasting room. And and we were like, no, you can't do that. There there is, because there is a very important Pacific Northwest aesthetic of you know, what the vernacular is out in eastern Washington with, you know, all the agriculture and there's just so many beautiful, beautiful old barns that have been there for ages. Well, not ages. Everything's much <laughs> yes. younger here. On the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Europeans make fun of the entire country right. for calling things old. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think that might actually be one of the things that we could, I don't know, peg as being kind of a Pacific Northwest aesthetic thing is that there when you do it right one of the things is that you respect the vernacular and so in that region some of the most beautiful architecture that you see is is some of the stuff that's brand new but that takes and references that particular vernacular you know architecture of there of the old farmsteads and the old houses and and the best wineries have that kind of look Mm-hmm. And they're not just pretending to be something that is that just makes no sense in the Pacific Northwest. Absolutely, and I've seen how do I how do I phrase this exactly? Acknowledging it is important. And like if we are able, if we're going to be able to move forward with the Pacific Northwest aesthetic, or even call it the Seattle aesthetic to be more specific, because mm-hmm. I've actually realized after doing this for a couple of weeks now, we're taking a lot of liberties with Portland and Vancouver and and the whole country, but. 
maybe in Seattle specifically, if we acknowledge that there is a desire for some of that, and it is traditionalism, really, um, even though some of these things seem cutting edge, like the blacks, the blackened steel wood framed roof aesthetic seems edgy. It's actually here, I think it's traditional, almost. Um, that's when we might get to play a little bit. And Monica, I wonder, you've, you worked recently on a multifamily building, uh, and the Pacific Northwest was a phrase that was thrown around a lot. But where we ended up was a more interesting place, even though we didn't, I don't think, leave the Pacific Northwest aesthetic behind. I mean, tell us a little bit about that process and what it was like to have to get it, but then also play off of it. I definitely, the, the first thing I really noticed, and this, I worked on this project, you know, only a few months after I moved. Um, so, you know, it was a quick and dirty lesson in Pacific Northwest design. Um, the nature thing was definitely a big thing. Um, and I think talking about vernacular architecture, you know, on the East Coast, there is such this rich history there. And it's all very traditional and colonial and classical. Um and I still find that people building new buildings there in that style, just maybe it's a taste thing. I don't really appreciate it because the beauty of all that architecture is it's old. It's made of these beautiful, authentic materials like real brick, you know, painstakingly built and created. And now it's like McMansions with brick veneer and siding on the back. <laughs> There. <laughs> it was copying um, instead of acknowledging. Copying it's instead of acknowledging. It's just a different aesthetic. It's the same exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. Copying instead of acknowledging. And I do feel like there's more of an aversion to that here. Um, so, okay, you know, there's one spot in D.C. that that reminds me of this, actually. There was, yeah, in Georgetown in Washington, D.C., which is obviously one of the oldest parts of the city. There is this alley that's built into these landmark buildings and the alley is sort of, it's not quite an interior courtyard. It's not even quite an alley, but there are a bunch of storefronts and they're all very, very modern stores. And they all try very different things within their interiors, but it's within this preserved, historically accurate um, space. And that's, I think, a positive example. One that we, if we saw, I think that's might be interesting common ground. If we were to bring a similar approach to spaces here to try new things without upsetting the balance too much. I actually think when you brought up Vancouver, that was an interesting example because I've only been there once briefly for a weekend, but I got the impression that it was a massively global city. I mean, half the people there were of a different race. People were talking in different languages all over the place, which you don't find here yet. Um, and I felt like their architecture was pushing the boundaries a little more. That was the sense that I got. It felt a lot more global to me than it did here. Um, and I'll just be interested to see, I don't know, how Seattle is in 20, 30 years. It's probably going to be very different from how it is now. It's funny you mentioned that, Rachel. Just last week you were mentioning that Portland, or maybe it was Haley, I can't remember. One of you mentioned how the design is a little weirder in Portland. Mm -hmm. It's probably not more of a world city than Seattle, but what is it What is it about Seattle that makes it in like not less weird, but I don't know, afraid to take as many risks? Portland self-identifies as weird. And in, in it's a big thing that they yeah. they love and they promote and all these things. And I think Seattle, um, maybe we've just been a little bit more on the fence 
hear about it. Like they've mm-hmm. they've taken ownership down in Portland of the you know keep Portland weird. We're gonna do all these things. Whereas Seattle, I one think, foot, has one always foot in, one foot out. It almost feels like sometimes. Right. Right. It's like we've always thought, well, we're going to be the <laughs> big Pacific Northwest city, and then Portland was like, all right, all right, you guys do that. You you, you we'll guys... be your weird little sister. Yeah. And Seattle's like the responsible older sister. Right. Kind of wants Even to like break Portland... out of its shell, but. Portland is the older city, I think. I hope I'm not wrong about that. But I, Seattle wasn't no supposed question. to be the, or it wasn't originally the most active, most populated city. Oh, that's interesting. And we've come into it, and it started, you know, things started happening, and then and then it's like you end up in that role of, oh wait, we're supposed to be the big metropolis. Oh, how are we supposed to behave? Um, do we need to do things differently? And Portland was just like, yeah, you guys right. handle it. Because Portland's <laughs> main industry is tourism, if I'm not mistaken. Um, whereas Seattle's obviously is many other things. Shipping, tech, you name mm-hmm. it. It's here. But it's much more buttoned up. Right. Um, Comparatively, Comparatively. Which is ironic. Which is still obviously less buttoned up than, say, government or, you know, uh-huh. things like that. But... Yeah, it almost seems like that's maybe shaped it in a certain way. Definitely, yeah, I, I would definitely think so. And it's what, I think it's why we're having the growing pains that we're talking about now is that we, somewhere along the line, Seattle became the biggest city in the region. And then that com- that has its pros and cons. It has its challenges. and It happened quickly, too. That's right. what it also seems like. Like, almost like native Seattleites weren't fully prepared or, like, the city didn't quite have the infrastructure ready for all of this influx of people. Um, well, all of a sudden you have, you know, a global, you know, global tech companies here mm-hmm. that, that happened here. And then all of a sudden, I mean, you know... Who knew many years ago necessarily that Microsoft would be born here, and then it right. and then it was, and so then you evolve with the major companies, and it they spawn other companies, and then all of a sudden you have this vibrant infrastructure and mm-hmm. interrelated tech environment that that just creates new creativity in that world, um, and then they all feed off of each other. But it's I think it's a different. Seattle's been interesting in in its tech culture in that way because it's not like um, Silicon Valley, for example, which is still has that kind of suburban feel. It's like, what do you do when you have these big companies like Microsoft and Amazon that are just these massive global companies, but that are actually in yeah. a metropolitan area? And so that's that's been, I think, a one of the greatest things about Seattle's growth, but also one of the things that people that weren't prepared for it that has been their greatest challenge is how do we deal with the fact that these huge companies are here and supporting and building the entire economy here but also by nature to exist we're importing a ton of people that are coming to work for these companies and hey I love it but like I think that that's one of the things that causes these growing pains is that Mm -hmm. a lot of the really old timers around here weren't prepared for us to be this kind of destination for all these huge companies. Right. So building on that, I have another question, really the last big question I'm going to ask, which is, and I'm going to leave it up to you too, where do you want to see the Seattle slash Pacific Northwest aesthetic go? For being such an artistic city in many ways and being a city who really values design, I think, um, as a whole, I don't feel like we have a whole lot of architectural 
legacy projects that really, you know, people know, people travel the world to come see. You know, we have the public library and there's, you know, a few other examples. But um, it's funny you mentioned the public library. I knew it was a building. I didn't know it was here. Right. No, me too. Me too. I saw that project in school and I was like, that looks cool. And just a few, just a few weeks ago, someone in the office asked, Hey guys, name your favorite building in the city. And I was the only one to say the Seattle public library. (laughs) It might've been outside the space needle. The only one I knew. People around here didn't really take like that it. building very well. Yeah, and I wonder what that uh, is. Is everyone, you know, are people not going to be into a building unless it's, you know, exposed black and steel and wood? <laughs> like, I'm not sure. You know, I guess I, think, I just think of, I think of, you know, it can all coexist. Like, I think of when I went to Barcelona and it's like this super old, beautiful Spanish city and all the architecture is very traditional. And then you have that giant glass fish looking building just (laughs) hanging out you know and I don't even remember what it's called but I think those contrasts are really amazing and I kind of wish Seattle would be a little more open to pouring more money into its modern buildings you see a lot of modern homes around a lot of them are developer Mm -hmm. work they're not exactly you know um great examples of what modern design can be I actually have a couple friends here who are also from Virginia. They're from Richmond, Virginia, which is, you know, talk about a warehouse city. There's all these gorgeous old reclaimed brick warehouses there that have been turned into lofts. I would say more so than here, honestly, for a much smaller city. Um, lots of history there. But so they love traditional architecture. And they were asking me, they were like, well, so what's an example of modern? Are you talking about like those townhouses around town or what, you know, what are you talking about? I don't like those at all. And I was like, I wouldn't call those good examples of modern architecture. You know, it, it kind of pains me that when you see these really cool projects on Archonnect or whatever website, they're all abroad. I would say there's a lot of contemporary work here. A lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can argue some I like, some I don't like. And even discounting the, the contemporary and separating the modern from it, I would say I've seen way more modern residences here. Than I saw back east. Oh, definitely. Like it's There's ironic. No modern residences back east. And it's so yeah, it's ironic. Publicly, we hear very little support for modern design. Yet there certainly seems to be plenty of examples of people willing to put. I money think some of it. that is actually kind of a public relations problem mm. because, I mean, there's just a lot of. You know, as, as we talk about, you know, sales growing pains and everything. We've got, I think, an unfortunate timeline going of of a lot of people that are the old-time Seattleites that are very upset by the fact that some of the older housing stock that wasn't taken care of is getting torn down mm-hmm. and then when it's torn down it's replaced with these developer kind of contemporary modern bot that's like new box mm-hmm. and and so it's this it's this tricky problem of why well, like well there absolutely are architecture firms like Hey, this one that <laughs> loves to take old houses and and turn them into still beautiful new incarnations of of what they were. Mm. But when you're looking at a situation where a house isn't worth remodeling anymore and mm. it gets torn down, it's a shame. But it's not the fault of the developer or the designer who comes in that says like that it's not possible for us to to work with the bones of this building anymore. It's it's not able to be remodeled. We're going to tear it down. We're going to put up a new thing. And so we have these conflicting things where when you're in that situation, then yeah, there's 
there's bottom line issues of, of like what are you going to put in there when you're building it on spec versus do we have clients that are coming in and saying actually I want the top like I want a truly beautiful modern home right to be an architectural example and that's that's harder to come by and I think it'll happen more and more as there are more people that are living here that love and respect design for the sake of design and so we're, we're just in that like awkward phase right now where mm-hmm. there's a little bit of uncomfortableness with Seattle changing so fast and and not quite a new comfortableness with the fact that a lot of the people that gravitate to Seattle care a lot about design and they care a lot about the fabric of a city and and they're if we're going to become as I think we're on our way to a, like a global city then the urban fabric matters and design matters and people will want there to be cool things like the library and they won't they won't see them as abhorrent to the fabric they'll be like oh there's this cool gem in the middle mm-hmm. of all these other buildings but this is this neat little thing you can go see it you can experience it and it's not at all out of place it's just that it's part of this cool quilt of what we have going i couldn't agree more and i feel like europe is so far ahead of just the whole country in general in that whole front i mean totally. like charles was saying they laugh at us for calling buildings old <laughs> they have centuries old buildings there mm-hmm. that are sitting right next to some beautifully detailed, modern, super modern thing that's still warm and inviting and Mm well-made. And I think, like you said, Rachel, it is almost a PR problem. It's like people don't quite understand what modern design can be. Like we know, because we work in the profession, we're exposed to all these beautiful projects. Um, And honestly, if I just thought a modern design was big gray box of hardy panel, I'd maybe be like, I don't really like that. It's not warm. It's not inviting, you know, so I I get it. Um, I guess I I would maybe hope that both architects, developers, everyone in the industry would push for continuing to improve the urban landscape here. Um, Mm -hmm. Not necessarily trying to stay true at to an aesthetic at all costs which i mean we're becoming a more and more global society anyway it's like what does that even mean as the years go on right that's a whole nother discussion <laughs> yeah it's funny this could branch off in a couple of different ways but we're kind of out of time so i'm going to cut it off there but what a fantastic note to end on honestly monica thank you so much for joining us this was a lot of fun anytime we just finished up our last night's school event here at board and vellum our next one will be coming up uh, likely in mid-september uh, again night school events are public open discussions about different philosophical topics uh our last one was about storytelling and we haven't really settled on the next topic yet but it will be scintillating i promise uh, and as always, we have a storefront office here in Capitol Hill on 15th Avenue. So please stop by and chat with us. We would love to have you. Uh, one quick housekeeping note here. This is now a bi-weekly podcast, not weekly. Uh, so look for us on iTunes or SoundCloud every other week with a new episode, not every week. And uh, so thank you again. We will see you in two weeks.